arts news from around the area. Welcome to the Creative Cafe, sponsored by the Arts Council of Greater Kalamazoo, promoting and supporting the arts, arts organizations, and artists throughout Greater Kalamazoo on 590 and 106.9 FM WKZO. Good morning. Welcome to the Creative Cafe on this beautiful Saturday, uh, September 2nd. Um, I am Eric Oliphant, the Operations Manager and Membership Director at the Arts Council, and today we are talking about our upcoming Artist Happy Hour, uh, Reaching New Audiences, which is happening Wednesday, September 13th at 5.30 p.m. at the Kalamazoo Valley Museum's Mary Jane Stryker Auditorium. Uh, At the museum, they also are exhibiting SPLAT, the buzz about fly swatters, uh, which is a collection of over 3,300 fly swatters. And I'm going to uh, totally mess up this name, so I apologize. Uh, it's Isa Van Rijmsdijk's, uh collection, personal collection. She's come over from across the pond to exhibit this. It's very sweet. Um, and then uh, at the event, we're going to be learning and talking to a great panel of experts about arts marketing, how to market yourself as an artist, what uh, having an audience on social media means, and a whole bunch more. Uh, This morning, I have two guests on the Creative Cafe, uh, both of which are panelists at this discussion. Uh, The uh, first guest is Sydney Schlesch. She's the Director of Marketing and Communications at the Kalamazoo Symphony Orchestra. And then Gabrielle Serberville, who is an American composer turned creative alchemist. And I'm going to start with Sydney this morning with our traditional first Creative Cafe question, which is... What is your favorite morning beverage? Great question. I have a very classic order, and nine, nine out of ten times, it's just a coffee with a hot coffee with a little bit of cream. If I'm feeling fancy, we might do a hazelnut latte with oat milk, but mm. that's for special occasions. Now we are coming up. Are you a pumpkin spice girl? Ooh. I am a pumpkin spice girl in uh, limited quantities. Okay. I am much more of an apple cider Ooh, yeah, person, okay, good. so that's my fall beverage of choice. Very good. Mm-hmm. I am a big pumpkin spice girl, so there you go. Um, so uh, when I uh, asked our panelists to join this discussion, I said, hey, can you send me a quick bio? And I joked that if you don't, I'll find uh, whatever I, information I can online. And Sydney said, uh, I'm actually curious what you'd be able to find online. So you were a graduate of, are a graduate of Stetson University with a bachelor's degree in clarinet and a master's in business administration, which is in your bio. But I also found that you were drum major for the Nice High School Panther Pride marching band in high school. Uh, you were part of the only completely undergraduate clarinet quartet performing at the 10th annual Van Doren Clarinet Ensemble Festival. Van Doren is a very popular uh, reed brand in Mobile, Alabama in 2016. Uh, Proud member of Alpha Chi Omega on campus there at Stetson and you were a student ambassador. Is this all factual information? This is all factual information. Blast from the past and a bit of a trip down memory lane. I won't won't ask you to dive into it at all, but that's what I was able to find online outside of your bio. Um, One of the things that you did get to do uh, at Stetson was uh, be an intern at the Jacksonville Symphony, and that kind of started your early career in marketing. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like at Jacksonville? Yeah, so the Jacksonville Symphony in sunshiny Jacksonville, Florida, is in a way my hometown orchestra. They, the first orchestra concert I ever attended was with the Jacksonville Symphony. It was a John Williams concert. I went with my seventh grade group of band nerd friends, so I'm a product of music education. And I fell in love with it. And between my junior and senior year, 
of college, I went home for the summer looking for something to do, and the Jacksonville Symphony had a, I think at the time it was a PR internship open, so I submitted my information and then was fortunate enough to spend the summer working with that team, and when I came on board, they were really rebranding themselves and introducing this conversation of reimagining what an orchestra could be and what that meant to our community. And I fell in love with that idea of, of bringing orchestras into our communities and really focusing on, on serving the, the communities we live within. And that is what skyrocketed my career and love of arts administration and arts marketing. And you spent some time there at the Jacksonville Symphony, um, but you also met uh, an important person on the pathway to Kalamazoo, which was Jessica Mallow Gully, uh, who's the executive director at the Symphony Orchestra in Kalamazoo now, but you both worked together at Jacksonville. We did, and when you're in the arts world long enough, or even just for a short period of time, you really start to recognize what a small world it is. Yep. Everybody knows everybody. So yes, Jessica and I worked together in different departments at Jacksonville. She was in the uh, fundraising development department, and I was on the marketing team, and that is how we started our relationship there, and lo and behold, uh, just a few years later, here I am in, in Kalamazoo you, with her. You found out Kalamazoo was I a real place. found out Kalamazoo was a real place. So you've been here, uh, yeah, about a year and a half, I think, right? Yep. Um, mm -hmm. What has your work been like at the symphony thus far, and what are your plans mm -hmm. and goals moving forward? Sure. As, as a marketing team, we have a very special job of serving the entire organization. So almost everything at some point probably crosses our desks the emails, the social media, the letters, anything you can think of is, is more than likely passing over what we do, and that's such a privilege. We also have the opportunity to, what we put out to the world should help people fall in love with music, like we love it, and that's a very special job. And in a way, it's as close as we can get to, I, I like to say, marketing magic. Um, and it's, it's a lot of fun, and goals here, what I love about the Kalamazoo Symphony and Kalamazoo in general is how tight-knit this community is. So having that opportunity to create partnerships and collaborations and bring people into the orchestra is a very, very special job. And that is at the core of what we do. Um, and everything we put out is really focused on that. Very cool. Thank you for sharing all that. I'm going to jump into uh, Gabrielle's half of this segment um, with our very traditional first question, which is, what's your favorite morning beverage of choice? Oh, it's coffee and a lot of it. But when I'm in Kalamazoo, um, the people at Factory Coffee know me very well mm. for my order of a uh, cortado with cardamom and oat milk. Ooh, that sounds so good. When they opened their downtown location, I was very, very happy because it's just a walk from our offices here. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it's great. Love Factory. So you, uh, Gabrielle, also have a very big music background. Um, and I, I forgot to ask how to pronounce it, but you studied theory and composition at Cairn? Karen? I was at Cairn for Karen. about a year, and then I went to Butler University in Indianapolis. Right, and you graduated there, and then you ended up doing a residency in Iceland, and you uh, discovered a love for something called graphic scores. Uh, and Can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like? Because I, uh, I don't know that everybody knows that this is a thing, and it, it's been a thing for a little while, and it's very cool and interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So graphic scores um, actually date way back, but they've sort of experienced a resurgence of popularity since, um, you know, folks in the 1900s 
started creating them. So a graphic score is essentially a visual representation of music that um, doesn't necessarily have to incorporate um, traditional notation. Mm-hmm. So in, in many cases, those of us who make, who make graphic scores are trying to convey something about the music that either can't be conveyed through traditional notation or something that enhances the traditional not- notation. So um, in my work, I use a lot of geometry and colors, um, and I create pathways so that performers can sort of imprint on the piece themselves without having to um, follow a rote set of directions. Right. And then every performance of that obviously is going to be truly unique because it is very much up to the performer to interpret what this graphic score, uh, you know, is telling them and what they play. Yeah, absolutely. Very cool. And then um, after uh, your nomadic move around a little bit there, uh, you came to Kalamazoo to get your master's in composition at Western. And one of the projects I wanted to mention is that you worked on, the Arts Council was really, really happy to fund a bit of, is uh, was called Fungal Chapel, and that was a little residency at the Kalamazoo Nature Center. Um, I got to read uh, your uh, uh, thesis about this, and it was very much, um, I mean, literally Fungal Chapel is kind of like going to church, but in nature, and uh, these uh, ceremonial things that we know um, but kind of experiencing it in a totally different way. Do you want to talk about that a tiny bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Fungal Chapel was a um, sort of a culmination of my time at Western. Um, so I spent a lot of time not just working on music, but also um, taking classes over in the art building with Patrick Wilson, who's an amazing sculptor. And uh, I got to learn how to weld and work with wood and do all of these other cool things. And I wanted to pull all of that together with music into an experience. Uh, as, a, as a composer, creative alchemist, I like to uh, create experiences that people can enter into and um, sort of bring those to places where people already are. And Fungal Chapel, uh, the Nature Center was so amazing, and you guys were great at getting to work with these organizations that really care about Kalamazoo and are proud of um, the, the places that we've been able to conserve there. Uh, and so it was really cool to see people, you know, bringing their kids through and um, just experiencing the um, experiencing this little microcosm of beauty. It was really, really fun, and I'm really glad that I got to do it. Yeah, it sounded amazing, and I texted you. I said, I was so embarrassed that I missed that because it, it sounded sounds incredible, and I hope that you uh, get to maybe put that on again somewhere else, and I, I will be there as soon as it opens again. Um, one of the <laughs> things while you were in Kalamazoo that kind of happened is you ended up getting a pretty big following on social media. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that uh you leverage that to kind of create some space uh, financially and otherwise to kind of create more art and music because your social media following doesn't necessarily have to do with your art side of career, it, but there's some overlap there too. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it, I've sort of had to figure out over time how I wanted to um, sort of make one side of my career speak to the other. Uh, you know, and grad school was, was sort of a process of figuring that out. Uh, I create foraging and mycology content on social media with a strong bent towards uh, environmental advocacy and sustainability. And, you know, as an artist, 
a lot of my work reflects those interests. But for a long time, I wasn't really sure how to uh, how to kind of turn them into one thing. Uh, they felt very divorced from one another. So uh, now I've, I've sort of come to the conclusion that most artists have to figure out a way to um, to fund the things that they want to make. Uh, unfortunately, making art is not free, especially when you want to do things like weld and work with wood and play with electronics. Sure, um, yeah. All that gets expensive quick. So yes. um, finding ways to bring my audience into those interests that I have uh, has been has been a process and it's been interesting because I'm very against the idea that we should be manipulating our audiences to um, you know support the things that we love, but we can definitely share our excitement about things and um, so it's been it's been a ride. Uh, in, in part, I've been able to fund my projects through grants, uh, like the one that um, that you guys were so generous to provide me. Uh, and in part, I've been able to, you know, do sort of unrelated social media work to uh, to fund other things that I wanted to do. Uh, it's sort of like having a patron, but the patron is me. Right. That makes perfect sense, and I, it sounds like uh, from our conversation before that you're you're so you're getting your doctorate uh, just started this uh, in at the University of Virginia, um, but this combination of these two kinds of sides of Gabrielle, the artist and the creator, they are kind of coming together a bit, and hopefully that'll be a big part of this next part of your school. Is that correct? It is. Um, so at the at the moment, I feel really fortunate to be at UVA where I can take courses like eco-acoustics, um, where one of my professors is also a mycologist. And so the conversations that arise from uh, from those fields, uh, it's just really, it's really fascinating. Uh, I feel like I'm learning a lot, uh, similar to, you know, how my education was at Western, which I, I really believe has some of the most engaged and uh, exciting composers in the state uh, at the moment. Mm. Uh, just some really, really great people who will Stop at nothing to make sure that you are uh, uh, able to find the things that interest you and uh, explore them to their limits. Yeah, and I just want to give a quick shout out, uh, Dr. Biggs and Dr. Coons. I know you work with both of them. They are Arts Council grant recipients, and we love them, and we love that they're in our community. Um, we're going to be right back uh, in a minute here after a commercial break, and we're going to kind of preview a little bit more of this conversation about arts marketing. So hang tight. Thanks for taking the time this morning to join us at the Creative Cafe. Summer is almost over, but the arts are still growing strong. Whether it's a live outdoor concert, a riveting piece of theater, or a beautiful ballet, Kalamazoo has everything you'd want in an arts and culture scene. In fact, arts and culture have always been a cornerstone of what makes Kalamazoo a great place to work and live. As a service organization, the Arts Council of Greater Kalamazoo has been proud to serve Kalamazoo since 1966. And they're still here serving artist organizations and connecting artists to our community. If you want to know what's happening in the local arts scene, please visit the website kalamazooarts.org and click on the calendar to plan on your next experience. That's kalamazooarts.org. And help amplify the arts in our community. Now you know. Please... Join us next week for another installment of The Creative Cafe, brought to you by the Arts Council of Greater Kalamazoo. 
You're listening to The Creative Cafe, sponsored by the Arts Council of Greater Kalamazoo on 590 and 106.9 FM WKZO. And we're back with segment two of The Creative Cafe. We are previewing the conversation for Artist Happy Hour, Reaching New Audiences, happening Wednesday, September 13th at 5.30 p.m. at the Kalamazoo Valley Museum. Um, I wanted to pose a question to both Sydney and Gabrielle. Uh, knowing your audience, uh, what is the importance? How do you output or program um, the work that you do? And then the promotions of that work, who is reached and by which means? Can we talk a little bit about audience and what that looks like? Sure. So I'll, I'll start uh, with what we do and what we look at for a symphony audience. And knowing who we're serving is such a part of the work that we do in the marketing department um, and in the organization as a whole. Knowing who is coming and the different segments of people who make up our current audience, but also really trying to dig into who is not coming and how can we engage uh, more people in our community to to come into into the concert hall and I recently went to a conference and, and listened to a really great keynote speaker, Colleen Dillenschneider, and she introduced this idea that, I, that really resonated with me, that as performing arts and visual artists, we are facilitators of shared experiences. So we, we want to know who is coming and what do they love about what we do, and then take that and spread that to, to people who are not yet coming to engage with our art um, and experience the, the magic of a live symphony concert. So we, we use our database to look at that and behavior and trends and as far as how do we push that out to the world, we, we try and make sure we're in a lot of different mediums, whether that's still print, your social media, your digital, um, your grassroots with your, your postering and just being out in the community talking to people. Those are all ways we are still actively um, trying to engage the community with, with, with the orchestra, and, and we love that. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I know that for me, uh, a big question is, um, where does my audience currently reside and does it make sense for me to try to bring them somewhere that I want to take them or to find a way to bring my art to where they already are? Right. So an Instagram audience might be different than Facebook or like in some of the organizational work, like a mailing is still somehow a thing that's important and valuable. People love their mail and uh, arts council sends concert mailings every summer and it's so important. So it's, yeah, knowing, knowing those different groups and if it's worth trying to change them. Uh, speaking of social media, I wanted to ask both of you uh, your thoughts on, is it cool or is it weird that brands like the social media personality of brands, um, the symphony has a social media presence. I don't think you're on TikTok yet, but maybe soon. I don't know. What's your thoughts? <laughs> I think maybe TikTok is in our future. We will see how that goes. But yes, I think if we're talking about just branding and voice on social media, we've tried to be a little bit more casual, a little bit more engaging on our on our social platforms because it is it's an engagement tool, it's a storytelling tool, and balancing the content that we push out is uh, something we we strive to make sure is going in the right direction. Now, Gabrielle, you are on TikTok. Um, do, do do you think brands doing like the trends of or dances or whatever is that cool or is that still kind of strange? You know, I think that there's a range of responses that people have to brands behaving like people. Uh, it, in one sense, I think that consumers have gotten used to seeing brands 
trying to behave like people. I mean, that dates back to like Twitter and some brands do a really good job at it. Yep. You know, I can think of a couple like um, Wendy's has always been yep. known for having interns that are just really good with a clap back. Yep. Uh, and they leaned into that, um, you know, on TikTok, one of the big brand successes is Duolingo. Yep. Um, and they've sort of created this whole lore around how the Duolingo, the Duolingo owl will like kidnap your family, um, which is, which is like equal parts terrifying and funny. Um, So I think if a brand can find a way to do something that is a little bit self-effacing, a little tongue-in-cheek, and like pretty self-aware that it can work. Um, I think when it becomes cringy is when a brand isn't really thinking in that way. Uh, It's trying to create a social persona based on an approximation of what it thinks its consumers are or like. Right, right. So uh, Duolingo is a great example where, I mean, you have, obviously, everybody could use that app to learn languages and having that meme content online or whatever. Uh, I watched Duo threaten somebody making an Italian sandwich the other day. And I don't, I don't know why that's on my feed or whatever, but that there's certainly an audience for that, but that might not be the same group of people that are uh, learning language for, you know, in their retired lives or something like that. So yeah, very good points. Um, (laughs) Sydney mentioned this a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about data. Um, How do you both use data and how how does that drive what you do? Sydney mentioned this conference I was also at and I got to hear the speaker, Colleen, and it was excellent. But um, how does data drive what the symphony does? Data helps us, data in itself tells stories Mm. about our audience and our actions, and they also help inform our actions. And when you work, the way I like to put it is we work in a very creative job, but the data, what our patrons are telling us, what their actions are telling us, helps inform what creative decisions we make down the road so that we're not just throwing, you know, spaghetti at a wall and, and seeing what sticks. We're trying to listen to what people are telling us and make decisions based based off of that. And then it helps us tell our story better. We know what people are reacting to. We know what they maybe want more of or what we've not done a great job at introducing. So looking at all of those different data points, and we've got them all here, the classic ones, the clicks, the opens, just the ticket buyer trends, how much are people spending? Those are all things we look at every day. Right. And I, I know um, we also share database uh institutionally we mm-hmm. literally share a database but we also i know you dive into a little bit more granular like who is a first time so and so and who how to that kind of customer journey right too. Yeah. knowing where somebody is in their relationship with us is a, is very very important and when you hear these philosophies and you want to bring up first-time buyers again you know think of it as a first date so you don't necessarily want to come on too strong but you do want to be welcoming and make sure that that person, that individual, um, has had a great experience, and then we'll hopefully come back for that second date. You don't say I love you on the first <laughs> date to a new patron. <laughs> right. So we, we do look at, we look at all of those things and make sure we want to reach people where they are in their relationship with our organization and be very aware of that mm-hmm. and, and use the data to help make those choices and, and facilitate that relationship down the road. Makes total sense. 